What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is a podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, the much-anticipated Cocaine Bear and the Curse of a Good Trailer. Dun-dun-dun. Very dramatic. Now, I've been looking forward to this movie ever since the trailer came out, and I'll tell you why that's kind of a a complicated uh, process of events. (laughs) I'm making that sound way more academic than it is. When we're talking about a movie about a bear that does cocaine. But anyway, we're talking about that movie this week. Uh, I'll also catch you up on the state of the Oscars race uh, and give you another chance to join my annual Oscars pool, uh, which is free to enter, completely free to enter. And then, of course, uh, some great streaming suggestions that you can take into your weekend. So I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate you spreading the word. Um, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com and let me know what you think of any of these movies if you do watch them or any other movies that you are watching that you think I should watch and maybe review in future episodes. Really appreciate it. Let's talk Cocaine Bear. If I had it my way, movie trailers would not be allowed to be longer than 30 seconds. A teaser, as it's known in the biz. Show us the cast, the vibe, and some pretty cinematography, and then leave us guessing. Instead, movie trailers of today have become an art form all their own. Three-minute short films, complete with their own five-second teaser, immediately preceding. These days, our trailers have trailers. I'm not immune to their charms. At various times in the four-plus-year lifespan of this newsletter, I have declared certain ones to be the best movie in a given year. I mean, who can forget that first A Star is Born trailer? My goodness. What I'm trying to say is that often the trailer itself is the product, not the marketing. A very small percentage of the millions of people who watch your trailer are actually going to see the full movie, but a punchy trailer can absolutely boost business. Think about the success story of Megan or the entire career of Jordan Peele. That's why production companies don't mind spoiling plot lines or showing the best jokes and moments. They don't worry about inserting footage in a trailer that's not in the actual movie. In the case of Star Wars Rogue One, it was a drastically different movie altogether. Or they don't mind completely altering the tone of a movie to make the trailer more marketable. I wrote about this in 2018 with White Boy Rick, but more recently, The Fablemans comes to mind. Cocaine Bear had a fantastic trailer. It got me hyped. And maybe that should have been a warning. Rather than, a, rather than signal a great movie to come, in this case, it was more an indication that the idea had about three minutes of good material to support it. The entire story, to the extent there is one, can be summed up in the title. The true events the movie is based on, of a man in 1985 parachuting to his death with pounds of cocaine on him, and then a bear being found eating, <laughs> a bear being found eating all of it and dying, would have made for a great SNL sketch, at least a three-minute one, if cocaine had been something people could joke about back then rather than simply indulge in. That initial shock of apex predator high on cocaine cannot sustain a 95-minute runtime. The plot is essentially throwing more and more characters into their own confrontations with the beast and getting their reactions. Admittedly, it's an elite cast for shocked faces. Carrie Russell, Alden Ehrenreich, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Margot Martindale, the MVP of the movie, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and a posthumous Ray Liotta, whose final performance and final moments on camera will forever forever be him clutching a duffel bag of cocaine being eaten by a bear. Seems fitting. 
In order to amplify the crowd reaction, this movie contains a surprising and, I'd say, excessive amount of body gore. Hands, feet, and faces in various stage of chewed on, shot, and dragged over concrete. All of, it's, all of it is played for comedy. Remember, all horror must now be ironic, but that doesn't mean it's not gross. The CGI of the titular bear is spotty at best, which makes taking the whole thing less seriously an easier task. Obviously, there's no way to practically act opposite a bear, cocaine or not, but at times it is abundantly clear that the actors are interacting with a green screen tennis ball. The best moments of the movie, I dare say, are those where the bear isn't even present. In particular, in particular every moment of Martindale's park ranger before her grizzly, pun intended, demise. The overarching point here is that none of it matters. Almost 20 million people watched that trailer, and it would be hard to pin down any other reason for box office enthusiasm about a movie that immediately cuts out the child and family audiences. It seems apparent the trailer is the reason the movie has made $34 million in its opening week against a CGI-heavy $30 million budget. I suppose that makes it a success for Elizabeth Banks' third effort as a director. The Hunger Games actress has previously made a sequel in Pitch Perfect 2 and a reboot in Charlie's Angels, which also made profits on their budgets. If all three projects fall somewhere between artistic disappointment and utter failure, that can be excused. If her attempts to create comedy have universally fallen flat, so be it. All she needs to do is make sure whoever cut that trailer gets a big fat raise. Every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week something new is not a movie at all, it's an Oscars campaign update. Since there are new movies to talk about this week, I thought I'd catch you up on the state of the awards races to give you the best chance of beating me in our annual Oscars pool. Side note, if I didn't make it clear before, the Oscars pool is 100% free to enter. I'm paying the prize money pool out of pocket, equal to two times, or two dollars times the number of entries, so stuff that ballot box. Anyway, this week we got a sense of where voters' heads might be at with the results of the Producers Guild Awards the British Academy Awards, and the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Namely, that Everything Everywhere All at Once appears to be an almost unsurmountable favorite to win Best Picture. The latest betting odds I'm seeing have them at minus 750, which means you'd need to bet $750 to win $100 betting on them. The distant second right now is, surprisingly, all quiet on the Western Front after winning Best Film at the BAFTAs, but they're going off at 11-1 to 1 in the Best Picture race. If the bizarro family thriller Everything Everywhere All at Once does win the top prize, it will be the second year in a row my number one ranked movie of the year wins Best Picture after Coda did it in a shocker last year. That's kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> the movie will almost definitely carry Kihui Kwan to an easy win in Best Supporting Actor, which literally every human with a pulse is rooting for, and Michelle Yeoh's SAG win has her a nose ahead of TAR's Kate Blanchett for Best Actress. Brendan Fraser from The Whale is now in the pole position for Best Actor, slightly ahead of Austin Butler's Elvis impersonation, and it's looking like the crime of zero Oscars for Colin Farrell will continue for at least another year. There are still a few preliminary award shows scheduled between now and March 12th, so things could change, but it's time for you to do your research and then cast your ballot in my Oscars pool. All right, this week's Something Old is, in fact, 
quite old. It's from 1940. The Shop Around the Corner. This golden era romantic comedy was the inspiration for Nora Ephron's You've Got Mail. And despite coming along almost 60 years earlier, the gender politics in this version may actually be less questionable than the Tom Hanks Meg Ryan classic. Nothing says tall Midwestern matinee idol like Jimmy Stewart, which is why here he plays a salesman at a department store in Budapest who answers a newspaper ad to become pen pals with an anonymous woman. Could it be the coworker who he always fights with in real life? No. As with movies of the era, it can come across theatrical and there's a tinge of slapstick to it, but the script is actually pretty razor sharp with surprising comedy coming from the supporting cast and loads of charisma from Stuart and Margaret Sullivan. Ultimately, it's a cute rom-com through which a viewer can see the foundation being built for the next 100 years of the genre. Everything is stolen from somewhere, and for romantic comedies, this is that somewhere. All right, this week's Something to Stream is on Netflix. It's Roma. For all the endless criticism of the Netflix house style, which has all but ground that romantic comedy genre into dust and dropped viewer expectations of quality down through the floor across genres, I think the saddest element of the streamer's failed original film experiment is the way its works by truly exceptional auteur directors have absolutely zero staying power. This week in conversation, I mentioned Roma, the presumptive favorite to win Best Picture in 2019 before it was ousted by Green Book. And the person I was talking to said they'd never heard of it. How many of these Best Picture nominees have you seen from Netflix? And how many have you even heard of? Roma, The Irishman, Marriage Story, Mank, The Trial of Chicago 7, Don't Look Up, The Power of the Dog, All Quiet on the Western Front. I would guess that even those movies which you have heard of because you listen to this podcast or read my newsletter, and even the movies that you have seen... The amount of time you've spent talking or thinking about them in the time since their release is pretty close to zero. There's some fundamental truth there about movies being released direct to streaming, which is a much broader argument, but for now I'm here to direct your attention back to Alfonso Cuarón's semi-autobiographical masterpiece about the hard life of a maid in Mexico in the 1970s. It's simple and the stakes are low, but the drama is wonderfully rendered and the emotion runs deep. If I were to pick one, from the list above, or the list earlier for you to check out, it would be this. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Oscars are coming up March 12th, so that is, whew, that is less than two weeks away, uh, and I'm Really, really excited for that one, and I hope you guys are too. So you still have time to catch up on the movies if you haven't seen them yet. As for next week's show, it will not be Oscars because Creed. Creed 3 is out, uh, directed by Michael B. Jordan, starring one of my favorite actors right now, Jonathan Majors. Uh, I'm going to be seeing that one, as well as Operation Fortune. Guy Ritchie is is like one of my season ticket directors. I always want to see the new Guy Ritchie movie, and this one looks like right up uh, his alley, or at least the alley that I enjoy that he does. Uh, with a lot of his like familiar actors. So I can't wait to see both of those movies. Uh, so you'll want to come back next Friday and hear my thoughts on those as well as, you know, my usual streaming suggestion gold. Until next Friday, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies. Mm-hmm.